typically uh, with startups, our role is to help charter the team, align the team. So a lot of times I'm brought in to align teams reactively, where two or more teams have been brought together and, oh my God, we're so different in culture and values and what we think is important. People are pissed off at each other, don't feel like they've been heard. Where the hell are we going? What's pick the up strategy? The pieces. And literally, I'm the guy who helps pick up the pieces. And it would have been so much easier right. if they had called us like two months before because mm -hmm. then it would create such an, an incredible sense of unity and excitement and clarity as to who what where why when mm -hmm. I mean I get it for startups because you want to put all your energy into that growth aspect and getting the resources right um, in order to drive it at the same time there's a real lack of understanding of organizational development but it really is looking at the people and processes mm -hmm. and how to build that right from the start So we can just jump into it. Okay. Sounds right. great. I'm going to get you to introduce the company and yourself, and then I'll ask you a bunch of questions. Very good. Mm -hmm. So uh, my name is Mike Goldman. I am the president and owner of Facilitation First. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I have been running a professional facilitation training and services company for the last... 31 years. It's been that long, yeah? It's been that long. Um, and still wake up in the morning excited about doing my work. Uh, we are professional collaborators. We work around the world helping people to collaborate and to work together more effectively, more efficiently. And most importantly, to bring a safe environment so people can talk about those unspeakables that need to be spoken about that they would not necessarily talk about at work but mm -hmm. when you create that safe intimate space mm -hmm. that's where they feel there's more accessibility uh i can say this without feeling like uh, you know it's going to be a clm a career limiting move and that's uh, an acronym eh? <laughs> exactly and uh giving them that freedom and we do that through a whole host of different techniques and methodologies that we do. So we go in professionally to provide these services, but we also do it in a way that we train folks on how to do that. So I have over the last 31 years and all the folks who have been certified in our company, we've trained over 20,000 people. And uh, In person for the most part, right? In person, but over... Uh, over the last two and a half years, virtually, yeah, we had to make that incredible, resilient, uh, on the dime transition very quickly uh, in order to meet those needs. But it was honestly that challenge mm -hmm. was amazing. It was amazing to be able to go through that, to do that, and to succeed. You know, in the end, you know. Okay, so we'll we'll come back to that because I am intrigued with your process and how you guys found a solution to be able to like you know, teach facilitation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and teach a new type of facilitation mm -hmm, in the process, mm -hmm. probably. Um, but let's backtrack to start with 31 years ago. Like, what was the point at which you were like, I'm going to be a facilitator? Mm, that's such a great question. I'm a speech language pathologist by trade. So I have a master's degree in speech language pathology. And I, you know, I went through 
doing all the work, getting my degree, but there was always something nagging at me, like, this is this is great stuff, you're helping people, and I always wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. From the earliest age, I was always some kind of helper, like I was a camp counselor, or I was a team leader uh, with kids who had behavioral problems. Um, so there was that side, and then I've always been on stage. I've done a lot of acting, improv, oh. improv for years. Okay. Uh, Big City Improv did that, and down at Harborfront, we called it theater sports at that time. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. So I had the theater side, I had the helping people side, and then the communication side of helping people communicate. And so I was a speech and language pathologist at one of the school boards, and they had a professional development day. And that day, it was like introduction to facilitation skills. I thought, eh, you know, didn't really like anything else. I'll go try this one. I went in, and as she was introducing the methodologies and everything it was like oh my god i felt like the sky open hmm. my this visceral feeling all along the back of my neck and down my back oh, like wow. oh my god this is what i want to do you're in front of groups you're helping them collaborate you're bringing teams together and i literally left that workshop went home that day to my wife who was pregnant with two children at that we had oh twins and said honey I found the job I want to do. I'm going to quit work. And she's like, what? Wrong timing. <laughs> what? And I said, no, this, this is it. I know it. And, and, and trying to find a mentor, trying to find someone who even understood facilitation at that time, it was trying so... Trying to find books about it. Books about it. It was reference, so... Reference, yeah. Exactly. Only a few were... Um, available the national training um institute nti down in the states they have that kind of stuff but again it's in the states mm -hmm. not in canada and so i ended up finding this person called ingrid benz and i got it through a friend of a friend and she was actually doing facilitation okay uh and so she had just left the min um the ministry one of the ministries and so she was going out her on her own like and government she, ministries exactly not a church no okay. good point thank you so much um and she was looking for someone to do sales for her and i was looking to get someone to mentor me because she couldn't go to school there wasn't anything available in canada so the deal was I get her a job and she trains me mm -hmm. on the job. That's right? awesome. And it was perfect. Like I, I've been through all the training I Wait, needed. Wait, sorry, what was the job that you left to do this? So I was a speech language pathology uh, pathologist at a one of the school boards. So I was working with like seven different schools, helping kids with language learning disabilities wow. on how to learn language more effectively, communications disorders, those kinds of things. Uh, but it was more of an, a, I was more because of the board and because how they use speech language pathologists, I was more of a, a uh, kind of forensic guy. I'd come in, I'd assess the kid and then put a program together, which was then given to a speech teacher okay. who worked with the kid. So I never really got to do the on-site work, right. which is what I'm the, I'm the type of guy, I got to put my hands in it. I got to mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that chance. So that was one of the reasons why I wasn't very happy in my job. Uh, and so that's what I was kind of leaving. And then when I found facilitation, it was like, oh my God, I gotta find, I gotta get into this. Mm -hmm. So when I found her, got her a job real quick, and then she started to train me. And so over about two years working with her, I learned how to facilitate. Wow, uh, a lot of trial and errors, been put on the spot, f falling miserably in front of groups, and mm -hmm. and um, just 
<laughs> Do you remember any anecdotes from that time of, of, of the failures that taught you oh, things? Oh, my God. I remember there was one time where we were down in, where were we? We were like down south in the United States, and we were, uh, we had this executive team we were working on. And I said to her, oh, I, just let me facilitate this one session like i thought it was it was around creating what we call norms and it was coming up with how the group wants to interpersonally relate with one another so like no interruptions one person speaks at a time those kinds of things right sure, sure. and so let, let me do this because it's really easy right and so i remember she said well okay you know, go give it a try and i thought yeah so i got in front of the group and and first, she had been leading the whole thing. So, like, who is this guy? That right. was the first thing. No credibility established whatsoever. And um, I, so I started saying, hey, so um, in getting ready for our dialogue today, we probably need to establish some norms. And, and immediately one guy says, why? He says, we've been working together for a long time. We don't need norms. And all of a sudden, I could feel the sweat under my armpit. You know, like, yeah. it's like, and it was a hot room already. Uh, and then another you were guy down south. Oh my! It was down south. And then another <laughs> person started saying, "Yeah, why do we need norms?" And and then I and then I found myself rationalizing why you need norms, which a facilitator should not be doing. Sure, we should not be rationalizing. Yeah. In fact, because then we're putting our own personal bias into the mix, right? So I was just like, "Well, um, you know, norms are important." For example, and I knew even as I was saying it, it was the wrong thing. Yeah. And they said, "Well, no, we don't agree. We don't need them." And so then other people started getting involved before you know it my whole shirt was totally wet oh my god and i wasn't wearing an undershirt which i have learned to always wear now going into any situation and i literally she had to save me and i remember i was crushed. from the angry mob from the angry mob the executive sitting around attacking this young guy in a rush to get somewhere uh and learned a lot from that like just chill out, Mike. Right. When you're ready, you'll be ready. And also, if people don't want norms, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need... And, but what you do is you say to them, okay, so I'm hearing we don't need norms. How about this? How about as we go through dialoguing today, if in fact there is a personal attack or there is something that throws you off... Maybe perhaps then would you consider maybe discussing norms? Mm -hmm. And of course they're going to say yes. And then that that would have been it. Yeah, exactly. But of course you I had to go through the pain. Lead them. lead them to the solution. You've got to lead them. It's, feed everybody when they're not hungry. Exactly. Facilitation, is the, the, the root word of facilitation is facile. And that means easy in easy, French, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so a good facilitator is there to make it easy for folks to discuss, to dialogue to bring out important things that in otherwise they would not talk about. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. And uh, and so you didn't get fired at that point. No. <laughs> that was just trial by fire. She she did she was what I what did happen was the client spoke to her and had asked that any future work with this client that I not be involved. That's Wonderful. It was so sad. I was so upset, <laughs> and I and why didn't she fight for me? And like, but she told me. She said, "Mike, why yeah. are you going in here? Like, I don't think you're ready." So, so she did tell me that. She, yeah. so she preempted me. It was me. It was just like, "Mike, oh no, I got to do it. I got to do it." However, 
I've been like that throughout my whole life. I jump into it. I have to experience it. I'm not the one who says, well, let's look at all the factors involved here. Right, yeah. You know, I'm the, I got to kinesthetically get in. I got to get my hands dirty. And that's just the way it works for me. And, uh, I mean, that's great. That's a great approach. As long as that means that you're constantly, you know, observing whilst being in the soup. Yeah. And then you can kind of like pivot and change your methodology. And, and, and that's, that's a big part of this facilitation, you know, kind of role, it sounds like, right? So it really is. That's why I loved, like, I was so attracted to it because it's always a readapting, reimagining, reframing, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I'm really good at, you know? So it was a, it was the right choice for me. Um, so at what point was the company formed facilitation first as a as an actual so company. facilitation first was the second iteration it first was participative dynamics and that's what i opened with ingrid benz we opened that together okay um i gave her that sorry name. what was the name again participative dynamics just sounds so clever you know yeah exactly well it, it's what we do right, right we right. got people participating in a dynamic way mm -hmm. she ended up after two years deciding to move down to florida and just start writing and just run her own little consulting thing. Mm. Uh, and I, so she took the name and so I had to come up with a new name for the company. And we had a whole bunch of people come together and we brainstormed and one person said, well, aren't you guys like facilitators? And I said, yeah. And that's your primary role. And I said, so I said, yeah. And she said, well, what about facilitation first? And as soon as she said it, it was like, yeah. Yeah, that makes that's sense. It. That's it. I'm a big the... fan of alliterations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. I didn't even think and of that, but you're absolutely right. It know, is an alliteration. The, kinda, the two words reinforce each other. But it is, it's, it's important because it also sells the concept. Like, you know, it's something to consider before you bring your people together is like, how are you going to, how are they going to come together? When exactly. You, you know, and what's that formula that's going to help them collaborate the best? Mm -hmm. um, so now it's been a couple decades with that name. And three decades. Three decades. Mm -hmm. And explain to me kind of what you guys do, because it sounds like you, you are facilitators, but you're also teaching facilitators how to facilitate. Right. So typically we have three areas of practice that we focus on uh, for training people on how to be a certain type of facilitator. Essentially, when you look at facilitation as a broad kind of a broad term, it breaks down to two different areas. Mm -hmm. The first area is content facil facilitation. A content facilitator is someone who primarily delivers a position, a position, a certain, uh, their own content, their subject matter expertise. They very much are opinionated and they have something that educates other folks. So they're the ones doing most of the talking. So that's a content facilitator. Trainers are content facilitators. Mm. Teachers are content facilitators. But good trainers or teachers at some point take off their content facilitator hat and they put on their process facilitator hat. Mm -hmm. And that's where they debrief the content with the group. So what do you think about what I just said? How does that feel? How can that apply now to our work? What did we learn from this? How are we gonna action this? So as soon as they move from tell to ask, mm -hmm. they move from content to process facilitation. We train people on how to make that transition and how to do process facilitation really well. So that's essentially what we do. Uh, and we have three areas that we focus on in helping people become great process facilitators. The first one is how do you show up? 
what are the behaviors you need to embrace to be effective, effective at leading process? Second, how do you structure a good process? Mm. How do you build in great engagement? How do you uh, mitigate the possibility of n people not feeling safe? How do you create that environment where people truly feel free to say what they need to say? So that's all around process. And then the third area is how do you manage the group dynamics when they become challenging? Right. And all three of those are totally interdependent. In fact, the meeting is so dependent on, on all of those being effective because if any break down, those will impact all the others. Mm -hmm. So you can show up really great, you can have a really dynamic, great process, but if you don't manage the interpersonal dynamics, all of that falls down and so on and so on with each of the other areas. So we train people on those three areas and help them understand how to transition from content to process facilitation. So they understand, and it's a big wake-up call for people. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my God, I didn't even know there was this area of engagement and collaboration and how to structure dialogue and how to, and how do you help people understand that there are clear outcomes that they need to drive and how to drive that. And what if people go off topic? How do you manage that thing? And what if the person's dominating? How do you deal with that rambler? You know, and so it, be, it really is a science. Yeah. However, at the end, it's an art. How you put it together will always be different depending upon the person, the context, the client, the people in the room. That's where the art comes in. Um, okay, so when you started this, you said that there weren't many reference points for learning about the methodology and, and all that. So how quickly did you find your, if at all, define your own approach to this? Um, it's been iterative over okay. years. In fact, our you know our primary workshop is facilitating with ease which is also based on a book that ingrid wrote and i was the chief editor when it first came out uh and that was just like a whole bunch of exercises you know geared to helping you facilitate from a process perspective but i learned after a while we learned to understand there were categories mm -hmm. that we had to focus on in order to help a person develop. But that emerged over time. Our acronyms emerged over time. Uh, when we started realizing we needed, there was this category of behaviors that really helped people show up. That became evident over years of training and feedback. And, and that's the thing about this, this workshop that has been amazing. I would say over the last 30 years, we've had 20 iterations of this workshop. And it's all been based on people giving feedback, mm -hmm. what works, what doesn't work. And that led to a revamping. And so the workshop now does not look like the workshop 30 years ago. <laughs> it's really, really different because of the feedback, because of the changing times, because of the need. Now you've got to talk hybrid and virtual. Right. You know, you can't just stick to in-person facilitation anymore. And along the way, I mean, I'm sure even the groups that were in front of you have changed in terms of the roles that people play at organizations who are, you know, humbly looking to improve. It, it, it really, I'd like to think that that's the case. <laughs> Was that a stretch? Man <laughs> managers are coaches. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to think that's the case. Listen, I am, I am stupefied that I still am in business. I am amazed that organizations we walk into who are 
with millennials and young folks and everything like that need to learn these types of skills and that it wasn't first taught in university or college or even high school mm -hmm. or it wasn't one of those fundamental workshops that kids have to do upon entry it's like it, it's like you know when they're onboarded this would be one of those things right how to run meetings effectively how to engage people how to collaborate to me that's yeah. so fun but no no, it doesn't get taught. It's it's so funny. I mean, this is this is one of the reasons why when I signed up to do a BCom at McGill, I literally within the first week of classes stopped going to management because that's what it was. It was like management, capital yeah. M, nineteen yeah. fifties yeah. Don Draper classes. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, this is uh, this is textbooks, and these are yellow textbooks. <laughs> you know, it's not new. So I I changed my 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 focus at university very quickly, but. Um, it's weird because this is also something I've talked to, uh, you know, on behalf of Startwell, we've been talking to a bunch of universities about entrepreneurship and how you teach entrepreneurship and, right. and where partnership opportunities lie between the private sector and the public sector and stuff to encourage Canadians to be more entrepreneurial. And still a lot of people in, you know, higher learning institutions across Canada are telling me that this is something they, they find very difficult because the bureaucracy of the institutions doesn't welcome enough private sector information into its fold to inform what they're educating. So it's like, they don't know what's happening in meetings. They don't. And there's only lectures, you know, so they don't learn from their own process. And it's kind of problematic, but... Well, I, I have to say, you know, um, we've done a lot of work in the education sector, uh, teaching teachers, mm -hmm. teaching principals, vice principals, and superintendents on how to be more collaborative. Um, this is not all the boards, but certain boards, like the YDRSB. We worked there for years. What's you know, the YDRSB? Uh, York Region District School Board. Oh, okay. You know, and that's like huge, that place. And their leadership team was amazing. And they brought us in and we did lots of work and, you know, and did also advanced workshops mm. with folks. And so I, I was very proud to be part of that process and to help them. And it was, it's always amazing when you would see, you know, a teacher, a principal, you know, later on down the road and they, you bump into them and they'd say, oh my God, Mike, I just want to tell you, I've been using, you know, the pr skills you taught us and it's so practical, it's so, so uh, practical and um, it really guides me now in how I show up in meetings and I always get great feedback. So thank you so much. And so when we get that kind of feedback, again, I feel like, yeah, we've helped some people. Mm -hmm. You know, we've done something good. And that's what I wanted. I always have sought out a profession where I know at the end we're helping people. Yeah, right. of course I'm making money. Yeah. I got to survive myself. But we're helping people. No, I think it's incredibly important. And, and it's an interesting problem that we keep finding um, angles on, which is the corporate reality is a very assumptive thing. Uh, for many, really many, many reasons from the startup, you know, early stage venture formation process, people have an idea. They want to work on this idea. They form a team, they build that team, they collect resources to be able to fuel that, uh, need to satisfy hopefully now proven kind of market reality mm -hmm. and companies form and get built. Yeah. As they grow, more people get added to the mix fundamentally. This ends up if it's a you know IPO kind of end goal uh, or some sort of large M and A because they've been pumped with too much capital. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it, it becomes about kind of like headcount and functional expectations and less about the kind of like soft skills and the ability to truly collaborate and, and innovate within organization. Yeah, it's and true. Large organizations rely, of course, on M&A for innovation. But then what happens? Company that's really cool, that's in segment, gets bought to buy market share and maybe some interesting minds. And those people get golden handcuffed out. And uh, yeah, which is so crazy. It's so it's crazy because you lose you you've mined that treasure and then you let it go. I don't get yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's right. Very short sighted. So I think it's really it's really interesting to see it at very different stages of corporate evolution. Mm. This kind of like dogmatic, almost practice of like looking at the goal and not the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it for startups because you got to be so perseverative and you've got to be so focused and you you want to put all your energy into that growth aspect and getting the resources right. um, in order to drive it. At the same time, there's a real lack of understanding of organizational development. 100%. And so OD, this whole area of OD is now slowly getting incorporated. And again, we didn't have a lot of OD uh, courses in university for folks to learn. Now we do. Now you can learn organizational development. But it really is looking at the people and processes mm -hmm. and how to build that right from the start. You know, typically uh, with startups, we when we come into a startup, our role is to help charter the team, align the team. Many times I am dropped into a dysfunctional startup mm -hmm. or a project where two or more teams have been brought together mm. to actually facilitate that project. And the, the whole notion of, oh my God, we're so different in culture and values and what we think is important, that doesn't come up until the dysfunction arises. They don't right. they don't proactively think those things. So a lot of times I'm brought in to align teams reactively. I wish it was proactive because mm -hmm. then it would create such an, an incredible sense of unity and excitement and clarity as to who, what, where, why, when. Mm -hmm. We're brought in after where people are pissed off at each other, don't feel like they've been heard. Where the hell are we going? And you What's pick the up strategy? The pieces. And literally, I'm the guy who helps pick up the pieces. And but to and it would have been so much easier right. if they had called us like two months before. Yeah. And we were brought in right in the beginning. But this whole notion of we got to get it going, we got to get the project started, we got to, you know, it's we got to, got to. It's like we're not looking at the people element mm -hmm. and what is going to help make these people solid right from the beginning. And it's an interesting point because I think the as you form a team and it, as the team's kind of individuated strengths and, and skill set and passions um, don't get fostered as a collaborative you know pool of opportunity for an organization so much gets lost on the table Huge. or left on the table and you have employee churn this is something that's been coming up in this series a lot there's a lot of uh people you know that we're talking to in toronto but toronto hr professionals that are mainly well internal or even external recruiters that are dealing with what we've heard of in the last 10 years um you know, an expected career track job lasting, let's call it, no one was dreaming that it'll be 50 years, but <laughs> but as, as recent as five years ago, recruiters weren't expecting to replace their person at a different organization within two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. And in the last five years, it's come down to six months 
industry dependent and so on, right? right? And if we're not talking about the government, because no no one ever cycles out of the government, but yeah, private sector, you know, organizations, even if the pay, and this is the interesting thing, yeah, even if people are being paid a half a million dollars a year, yeah, there's still this like rapid churn. I think a lot of that seems to be fissures amongst the unity of the team and. Now we can talk about the pandemic a little bit because I think that that's exacerbated a lot of that, you Huge. know, uh, whether it's tension that was building or the capacity that was never developed in organizations to be able to, you know, weather the storm of separation. Yeah. Because that cultural footprint hadn't been laid and hadn't been developed. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and you know what? It, yes, the pandemic accelerated it, made it more visible, but it's always been happening. Right. That that disconnection, that lack of I feel part of this team, even when it was in person, wasn't happening too. Uh, and it's not only rah rah rah, or we'll have a party and we'll celebrate our you know what, our milestone mm -hmm. we just achieved. It literally is about how are we going to function together, and just taking the time. I mean, literally that could be like two hours mm -hmm. just to do that could be huge in helping a team foster alignment way sooner than later and getting people kicked like getting them to kick off in the right way and it's it's not hard it's pretty simple um it's good to have an external neutral person leading it mostly because that allows the whole team including the team leader manager whoever to have a role, to have a say, to have a voice in the process. Of course, you have to also coach the leader to not dominate and how to act as a fellow participant so everyone feels comfortable to say their piece. So there's, it's not only facilitating I do a lot, it's a lot of leader coaching mm -hmm. on how to show up. Yeah. So you can foster empowerment and also helping a leader understand how empowered do you want your group to be? We talk about the four levels of empowerment, where level one is you're just going in to tell them, here's the new, here's how we're going to run. Right. Who, what, where, when, and why? Any questions? That's that's their that's the last comment they make, right? The second level is, you know what? I think we need to do some kind of alignment. What do you folks? What do you? And here's what I'm thinking we need to do. What do you think? So that's more consultative. A you give softer. Exactly. You give them your paradigm. You give them their model. Get feedback. But literally, you have to be willing to incorporate what their feedback is. You can't just like... Yeah, you can't be like, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. So now you're back at level one. So you should just come in and told them anyways and mm -hmm. just be you know clear about it. Level three is where you're bringing them together to empower them to come up with recommendations with you having the final say, but because you've been part of that discussion, you're most likely to go with what's going on. But you may have to speak with your superiors and find out, do we have access to the res these resources that were, are right. going to be ne necessitated for us to do this? But mostly you're going to follow through. Level four is where you empower the group totally to make a decision. So helping leaders understand what level of empowerment they're willing to give the group and challenging them to level up a little more makes for the enables me and informs the process that i bring to the table to facilitate the group mm -hmm. have you found that like and i'm sure you have recurring uh facilitation engagements with a lot of your clients yes but i'm sure after the first kind of session that goes smoothly that 
you know, works that also voices people's particular identities, you know, and lets them open up and be personalities yeah. in sessions. I'm sure that everyone enjoys that and, and is welcoming of you as a kind of like arbitrar, not arbitrar, but, you know, third, it, third party role. Yeah. It, it, it really is that kind of role. I mean, like, you know, my role is to always leave people in a better place than they were when I, before I first arrived. So how can I make sure that when I leave this, and a lot of it is um, building internal capacity. So for example, if I'm going in to work with a department and there's like, you know, 30 people, now certainly as a consultant, I'll make a lot more money if I facilitate all the individual team meetings or sub-team meetings, but I don't do that. I go in and I'll say, I want one person from each team. Mm -hmm. I'm going to train them on how to facilitate. And I'll build process notes for them during the facilitation. So I'm building internal capacity. At, at the same time, I'm creating change and helping people feel that they can find their voice. Mm -hmm. And so when I leave, they're now in a place to actually continue on without me having to be there. And I probably could have had more jobs but i feel better knowing that i'm building internal capacity so they can own it they can drive it they know their content they know what the issues are i'd have to you know be with this team a lot to really understand that over time but if they know it they understand how to facilitate and lead that they can have much deeper and informative conversations not necessitating an outside facilitator do you think organizations should teach facilitation it, across the board absolutely it should be fundamental it should be fundamental like management 101 or when you are onboarded mm -hmm. especially if you are onboarded for management potential that should be one of the first courses you learn yeah because i think it's it's crucial for leaders of whatever hierarchical stage to be able to have these skills um but it is a leadership skill and and how amazing would it be if everyone had that leadership skill, whether they were a capital L leader or not, right? Exactly. I'd be out of a job, but I'll be doing something else. <laughs> you could teach them all yeah. to do this. Well, yeah. And um, I honestly teach teachers. So I'm actually, you know, part of my role these days is I, do, I don't do as much training. I still do a lot of professional facilitation, but mm -hmm. I am training trainers on how to do that. And... The people who I train up are people who already have a little facilitation experience, at least. Mm -hmm. So that's how come we're facilitators first, facilitation first. You know, so when we go in, we can talk. We our stories that are used to complement the learning are from real, actual, real facilitations that we do. So we can talk about it. So we're kind of like a foot wide and a mile deep. We yeah. don't do, we don't train negotiation skills, all those other, you know, there's some training companies, you know, they have like 50 different types of skills you can learn. Mm. This is our niche. This is our area. And this is what we have worked on and developed over the last 30 years. I think it's the core. It sounds like if people can communicate well and can direct their communication with the cognition of, of, you know, from the outset of understanding like what the output, desired output of a meeting is, yeah, or interaction with fellow workers is, yeah. um, you know, then then everything else is just about playing nice and being able to like continue communicating well. It is, you know, there are three, you know, separate things that we focus on that I think are fundamental. If there's only, because these days a lot of clients say, can, can you take that two-day course and give it to us in two hours? 
you know, so we're getting that a lot, honestly. Really? Like, yeah. So we've had to really look at what are the, you know, three fundamental things that, it, and also you have to say, you know, the two or the three or the five. You People know? like lists. Yeah, exactly. We want to know how many you're going to link teach bait. <laughs> exactly. People's brains are just becoming only it's, receptive to link bait. Exactly. It's search engine optimization, <laughs> right? So that's what it boils down to. So um, the three things are, number one, for how you show up, we use it, uh, uh, an acronym called SLAPS. And that's stay neutral, listen actively, ask questions, paraphrase, and summarize. Mm -hmm. So those are our five kind of core things. And we do a lot of training around that. For how to structure the process, we talk pop, how to make your meetings pop. And that's all around understanding why we're here, what we're here to achieve, and how we're going to achieve it. So pop stands for purpose, outcomes, like you said, goal focus. Mm -hmm and process mm. or process whatever however you want to say hey <laughs> you know tomato tomato uh and then how do you deal with the group we have norms or agreements or operating guidelines and we train people on how to facilitate a group to come up with those and how to referee those when they break because it's easy to come up with like one person speaks at a time anything that goes off topic we park it onto a parking lot right you know that's easy to do but no actually sugar. having the courage to come in and say hey time out we're breaking one of these norms that's harder and especially if you have power differentials where you're more junior as the facilitator but your boss is there and some of the other senior management right so even in professional sports yeah the referee pulls a card, and what happens? Everyone yells at the referee. <laughs> exactly. They're not like, okay, thank you. We respect you. <laughs> yeah, Let's continue. Exactly. Yeah, you, you kind of get that. The good news, though, is that uh, uh, an effective facilitator spends quite a long time in setting the context of a meeting. So not only do we overview the purpose and the outcomes, we check in with your group and say, is that what, why we're here, what we're going to be doing? Is that what you thought? And we actually get people to say, yeah, yeah, no, that's what, I agree with that. So we know they've already bought into the outcomes and the purpose. Now we overview the process. Someone might say, ah, I think it's going to be too long. Okay, so why don't we just try it for about 10 minutes? And if it's not working, let's reconvene and fix it. Mm -hmm. So part of a facilitation role is you come in, you can only influence. So you can come in with a structure, you come in with ways of handling it, but you got to have strategies for when people push back, how not to push against them, right? Right, but rather to pull. It's very much a you know a judo kind of thing. Like you're kind of using, you're off balancing people, but yeah. but you're also always influencing, and you're never saying no. And it's got to be this way. Yeah, and yeah. This it's is about a, flow, and it's about expression and a curiosity. Mm -hmm. Curiosity is huge. I'm curious as to why you're thinking of that, you know, and hearing what people have to say and, and then going with them, but, but maybe gently bringing them back because their idea wasn't working. And so you're always saying, Hey, you know, why don't we try your way for five, 10 minutes? And if it's not working, are you okay? We will go back to my way. Typically, because you are the facilitator, you've put a lot of thought into it. Your way is the right way, but hey, I'll play with your, I'll play in your sandbox mm -hmm, here. Mm -hmm. Let's see how it works. And when it's not working, they're so much more receptive now to coming back to your way. So I don't fight people. We're, it's constantly how to manage the resistance in a way where it's, it's just easy. It's facile, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, let's talk for a moment about this whole virtual thing. Okay. Virtual hybrid. Mm-hmm. So pandemic happens. Uh, you now got decades under your belt of doing this practice, having this methodology, of course, working in person with people. Um, what, uh, what, what was going through your mind in, in kind of April, 2020? Okay. So yeah, that was, that's a hard time to go back to. Not only did the pandemic hit, but both my, I lost both my parents. Yeah, from COVID, from COVID. Quickly, like early in the whole thing. Early, like late, like March. Oh my God. Beginning April, I lost my, my, lost my mother first and then my father like four days later. So I lost both my parents and um, we lost over $300,000 worth of work because mm-hmm. it was all in person. Wow. Bookings. Bookings. All those bookings. All those bookings were gone. calling you for their deposits and stuff. Exactly. All were gone. And so, I, and I couldn't even talk because I, I was dealing with the grief of my parents. Sure. So, wasn't I lucky? My uh, VP of Client Solutions, uh, she got all the consultants together. And these consultants are hired consultants. They're project-based consultants. So, they're gig workers, mm-hmm. right? So, we bring them in when we need them. They all came together. And they developed like three, they developed like four micro workshops behind my back. I didn't even know this amazing, was happening. Amazing. That we ended up like within like two weeks, you know, having like $50,000 in sales already. You know what I mean? And I come back and there's like, we got workshops that are happening. Um, it's on Zoom. Uh, and I'm like, I'm just feeling so much gratitude mm-hmm. and feeling so blessed. Um, that I had this team that, you know, literally took the initiative to help me and help the company out to survive. Right. And uh, yeah, so by the end of that year, we were totally now virtual. We had every, all of our workshops have been converted um, and we had it all down and we were a thriving business. So resilience, mm-hmm. talk about resilience, like the pandemic forced us all to really embrace our resilience. And, uh, that happened. And I was just, I'm just amazed. I was in awe of these people and what they did. And just, again, just felt so blessed, you know, that I worked with these folks. And today is actually our, our, we're having a celebration lunch today for oh, the holidays, but yeah. it's all these people coming together. Oh, that's going to be fun. And we're going to, yeah, celebrate. And I'm, I have to, again, thank them for all their work and their commitment and being independent workers. They're not like, they're my team, but they're, they, they run their own businesses sure. and everything, but they came together and they, they drove this, you know, so. Well, I think this is it, is that where you, where we find in any organization where you find this kind of true commitment that's born out of passion and connection with others. Yeah. You know, then people really, that's the best work ever. I mean, this goes back to why you're in this business. Exactly, exactly. I, I mean, you know, you, we try to do, I believe integrity is that you do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And I, as professional facilitators, it has always been my role or my belief that I have to treat the people who work with us as we would treat them at, if they we were facilitating sure, them. Sure, sure. So we have very, we are very people oriented and very collaborative and have usually monthly symposiums where we bring everyone together. We share stuff. We share our ideas. We share, it's very, very abundant mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of willingness to share. Uh, and these are good people. I mean, 
honestly, other facilitators, you get into this business because you want to help other people. Certainly, yes, you want to, you know, make money. You want to, you want to have a business, but you're doing it because you believe in people. You love people. You want to help people. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so it's, and they helped me. That's great. They were there. That's amazing. And now things are going. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> so now we are like You're going on both fronts. It's so it's in real so, life hybrid. It's virtual. so it's so great. We can offer in person classes. We can do it virtual. We can do it hybrid. Um, and now we're just finishing off an, an e-learning course so people can asynchronously learn it. And then three or four times a year, we're going to have, we're going to bring people who are asynchronous learners and give them like a half day. We come in, we just practice facilitation nice. and give them that chance. And that can be in person or that can be virtual. We can, we are so, you know, adaptive that way. And you got to be. Yeah. You either... You well, cannot survive if you aren't. Yeah. And I mean, even your clients' realities are changing by the minute. Huge, huge. You know, I was kind of hoping there would be more in-person, but we're still doing virtual, you know, and, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. I love virtual, but there is a different experience of being in a room with people facilitating them. It's just, it's visceral. Well, even this is, this is the reason why, you know, we, during the pandemic, I started, uh, I changed our podcast's format to test you know, virtual interview stuff. Right. Got into digital cinematics. Um, our studio production internally leveled up uh, just to try and push the fold on how can we actually engage people through the internet for visually interesting for the audience engagements, like conversations, and gave up on the whole thing. Yeah. For the most part, because we could produce our end of it beautifully, but yeah. then we have to send a package and teach someone how to record themselves and like <laughs> set up, replace their webcam. And it was just like, you know what? This is why we're coming back in the studio. We upgraded this studio and we said, you know what? We're Toronto first. So there's great stuff happening in the world. Yeah. But I want to hear voices from this city. Yeah. And yeah. I want to interact with people. In one yeah. Way, yeah. Yeah. Know? I love it. I nice. love it. Uh, yeah. And it, it's interesting because uh, we have this conference coming up. And there's a real big debate amongst the members of it's going to be hybrid, uh, virtual, in-person. And I really think that we as a group need to talk about experience. Mm -hmm. What's the experience? Again, what's the goal? And then based on that, then define how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think people are getting into, no, we need hybrid because we have to have all those people who don't want to come in. We say, well, okay, well, let's just hold back for a second. What's the experience? And once we have the experience, then how can we drive that experience? And so that's been more my focus lately, even with my clients, is asking them, what's the experience at the end of the day? What, why are we so excited at the end of the day? What have we achieved? And what was the experience part of that? Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about how we're going to drive that. So it's, it's become a different focus for us now. Mike, it's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure, absolutely. It was great chatting, hearing about the work that you do. And I'm excited to have you on campus more often. Oh, absolutely. Love to partner with you guys. I think this is a great space. Awesome. Cheers, man. Cheers, man. Uh, oh, yeah. What is that? <laughs> Let's redo that. Cheers. Fist bump. Boom. There you go. I was going to do a handshake. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.